0: Hey, welcome to Educate for Life with Ryan Francis. Let's get right into it. All right, so I am here with the lovely Bridget Murphy, which is, uh, as I put in my notes, the most Irish name of anyone I know. I absolutely love it. I was immediately attracted to your name when I first saw it. Um... We actually met by chance uh, on a Facebook group through Marie Forleo's awesome B-School program. And uh, Bridget is a shamanic healer, Reiki practitioner, domestic violence counselor, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure when you give your intro, you'll talk a little bit about your history. Um, And we're going to chat about the contemporary secular value of shamanism and shamanic practices. We both think that there's a little too much esotericism going on, and so there are people who are not getting value from these amazing tools that could be getting value from these tools. So, Bridget, say hello and introduce yourself. Hello.
1: I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Ryan. Yes, as Ryan said, Bridget Murphy. I am a shamanic healer and a teacher, and I help people to find the fire inside of them so that they can take their work into the world. So, You tell me what you'd like to know, and I will dive in and give you as much or as little detail as you'd like.
0: Well, I know that we could probably just go back and forth on background details, um, especially in this area, for like 20 minutes, half an hour. So just like really what I'm looking for is maybe a brief snippet of some of the esoteric traditions that you've been a part of. And uh, and, and in a small way, how they've influenced the direction of your life. And then we can kind of use that as a springboard to get into the content.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So drawn into the realm of spirit at a very young age, found my teachers, both my shamanic teachers and my original Reiki teacher in my early 20s. So that was about 25 years ago. I have been on the path studying since then and have grown my shamanic practice as well as my reiki practice pretty fully both in my heart and in my soul and now i teach other healers and helpers how to use their connection with spirit and their healing abilities to get where they want to go so i'm trained my teachers my shamanic teachers one of them is still alive are in new york but they were originally in Ohio, and my Reiki teacher was in Pennsylvania. So that's a brief snapshot. Mm I am trained in practices that move me into connection with the earth, help me to create ceremony, help me to move into trance states so that I can talk more clearly with spirit
0: cool and what uh, what culture is the shamanic practice from
1: so the there's uh my teachers have worked with and have been inspired by a variety of shamanic practices not just one so uh Mongolian shamanic practice Sami shamanic practice and some North American uh indigenous practice are all influences in their in, their, in the way that they walk and in what they teach and share.
0: Very, very cool. Yeah, I think it's important uh, that people have a little bit of context for culture just because I know in my experience, the culture of a tradition colors um, some elements of it. And so sometimes things sound foreign, but what I think will be really powerful about this conversation to come that you and I are going to have um, is that at the heart of these practices there are there's commonalities deep 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 commonalities and something I'd written down in my notes when we were talking uh, before this conversation was esotericism is the baggage of self development. And I don't know if it was you that said it. I don't know where it came from, but it it's it came out of. It, is that the one who said it? It came out of yeah. our. It really, I really do believe that esotericism is the baggage of self development because we have this kind of trajectory over time of uh, religion to um, quote spirituality, which I want to banish that word because I think it, uh, divorces humanity from, um, quote spiritual practices, which again increases esotericism, but we have a whole other long conversation about that some other time. Um, but essentially we filter these practices down from culture and culture influenced by worldview, whether that worldview be explicitly religion or quote, folk practices, which also are effectively religion. But again, that's another long conversation about culture. Um, and so we may use terms that require some clarification because of the different esoteric practices that we've been involved in. And it might, someone might want to look up a, a word like shami. Someone might want to understand um, where some of these ideas might be coming from. So for example, uh, my background is that I've delved into a much, much lighter than you. Um, I have not done any formal apprenticeships. I, I have had, had the great, um, fortune of working very briefly with, uh, a shaman who was from North America, but she trained, she apprenticed in, uh, South America, um, near the Amazon river. And so she was an ayahuasca and and had those experiences and uh, just loved working with her for the very brief time. I mean, literally, it was like a week total split over two separate events. Uh, And then I got to work with a Toltec practitioner who actually was uh, one of the person who kind of shepherded me indirectly, not in a one-on-one capacity, but in a group capacity uh, through my depression six years ago. I had actually sought out some way to um, dig myself out of the hole that I had created um, that had led to the depression. And the class actually showed up in my inbox and... That's a whole other long and beautiful story. But anyway, I took this class. And so I would never call myself an apprentice because again, it was in a group setting. It wasn't this intensive multi-year process, which I think is kind of necessary to some degree to really call yourself a practitioner of a specific tradition. Um, I don't know your exact experience. And so I'm certainly not meaning to comment on your experience, but for me, um, uh, it is something I integrated into my practices and my self-development and they have formed them. And so every once in a while, I do my best to translate uh, something from the, what has been presented to me as, as Toltec tradition. Um, and so I, I do my best to uh, make that, um, let's say, secular. And of course, the fact is that all of these practices are grounded in our humanity and so it may have some coloration from a specific shamanic tradition, but ultimately I could point at a concept in Western psychology that is a one-to-one match. You know, I can point to something um, that the scientific community has discussed about brain chemistry or something. It's like, so uh, the, well, I'll talk about some metaphors in a second here, but I think it would be important instead of rambling again about, backgrounds is what is your definition of shamanism
1: so i first want to say grounded in humanity bravo spiritual practices should be grounded in humanity and not somewhere out in the cosmos where people can't reach them Mm -hmm. so okay so shaman which is a word that has gotten a lot of play and that a lot of people misinterpret um the word shaman comes from uh, what? when S- Europeans observed Siberian medicine practices in the 1500s 1600s. And it means a person who goes into a trance state to meet and work with, communicate with spirits in that trance state to bring back information for healing. So the original meaning of a shaman is somebody who goes into a trance state to bring back information. Now, there are many different components of shamanic practice, but that is the essence of what shaman means.
0: Hmm. So something that you and I talked about that I think would be valuable to highlight here um, as it was presented to me um, from a Toltec perspective is that a shaman, uh, a warrior in this case, a warrior shaman, um, which is, again, there's so much baggage of the word warrior. And in this case, we mean like a a warrior of the self, as opposed to necessarily a warrior who does physical battle. Um, This is someone who is, I say, again, battling themselves potentially, but I guess it's a much longer conversation um, that a a spiritual warrior a shaman, their job is to retain as much of their personal power as possible because the human tendency is to effectively bleed our energy everywhere and and by this I mean uh, seeking approval from people um running around trying to do things that are, um, valued, uh, by others and not ourselves, um, it's effectively giving away our personal power to symbols and people and that the shaman's job, the shamanic practice is to, um, Less bleed less and less to give away less and less of your power. The and the more power that you retain, it like cycles up. The more power you retain, the more power you're capable of retaining. And so, you hit a critical moment, a critical mass of your own, of yourself, of a wholeness of yourself that you retain and maintain. That then allows you to act in the world in new and powerful ways. And so, if you're going full blown esoteric. Worldview, then you're able to act on the world in these really fantastical ways, and that's often what people think of shamans uh, is yes. being able to manipulate matter or do other really intense and powerful things. Uh, but I think how it translates to our everyday contemporary world is as we start to become aware of our automatic processes, as we figure out the ways that we are either um, giving away our personal power by deferring to others or bleeding everywhere by trying to have power over others, which is another form of bleeding, uh, that once we reduce these behaviors, the more uh, self-awareness we have and therefore the more uh, power we have over our environment and our situations because ultimately power of a situation is power over ourselves. Uh, So when I think of shamanism and shamanic practices, I think of... um, this kind of development of personal power that uh, I I love to talk about goldsmiths and they, uh, if you were to look to look at an ancient goldsmith, they had zero idea what the molecular structure of gold was, but yet they learned through practice how to manipulate it through heat and striking and et cetera, et cetera. And that these so-called spiritual practices are no different. People were working through symbol and visualization to understand what it is to be human and then manipulate that material. Uh, And it just so happens that now we have some additional data uh, about how those things are made up, but that doesn't mean that for thousands of years we haven't understood intuitively some critical things. And I think again, this is why shamanism is, is so powerful.
1: You know, I also want to, I also want to say, as you're mentioning personal power and the, Being in our power and learning practices so that we keep our power and don't bleed it out, I think, as you said. I think it's very important to recognize that there are life circumstances that we experience that take our power. That power is not always willingly given over. Hmm. Once you know about power and you know how to keep it, That's a different conversation. But as a child or any person who's experienced trauma, they're not giving their power away. It's being taken. And we see that happening a lot within the structure of the patriarchy. We see that happen a lot when there is any type of trauma or abuse. So I think it's an important differentiation Or in addition to the explanation of how we lose power to include that sometimes power is taken and we don't even know that that's happened, but yet it's our responsibility to figure out how to bring it back. And that's part of the shaman's role is to help bring back power that people didn't know that they lost and help people to teach, help to teach people how to retrieve power, um, going forward.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's so critical, uh, and again, different practices have different ways of describing uh, that kind of fragmentation that occurs yeah. in our in ourselves uh, due to these different experiences. And I definitely want to talk a little bit about quote domestication unquote from the Teltec perspective in a little bit. But I but I want particularly, you know, you just talked about calling your power back. I was wondering if you could give just a little bit more detail about that, um, because I know we're going to talk about a technique in a minute here, but I, I think it'd be really valuable for people to understand what it means to call your power back.
1: Yeah. So we walk around in the world um, without a conscious awareness that we don't have all of our power. We don't even know that there are parts of us and pieces of our energy that are out there. And so the idea of calling your power back is all about inviting your own energy back into your energy centers so that you have it present and can move forward when you have that, when we have the ability to call our power back, there are practices to do that. And we can do that just by realizing, Oh, I lost power. I lost energy. Let me bring that back. I want to bring that back. Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah absolutely. I, I there's so, um, one part of my journey, uh, out of depression was EMDR therapy, which is eye movement desensitization reprocessing because my perception of what caused the acute depression, because it really did happen like a finger snap, like something just snapped inside of me A boom, everything was black. Um, Was that's a traumatic experience. That is is the description of a traumatic experience. Now, I would never claim that the emotional trauma I experienced at that moment comes close to what people have with a lifetime of abuse and sexual assault and everything else. So I just wanted to call that out right now. I use the word trauma specifically because of the affect on the psyche, not degree. Okay. So I just want to be clear about that. But part of that practice of going EMDR includes visualization as part of the therapy. And I had been doing this Toltec practice. And one of the things that we talked about was tethers and this idea that we are reaching out all the time with that worldview would be our energy, right? If we're big balls of energy, effectively, we're kind of reaching out these little energetic tendrils to connect to other people, to exchange energy with them because we think that in order to live, we need energy from other people, which comes if we're gonna remove the esotericism. Uh, there's this requirement to get along with others, we're pro-social creatures in order to survive. So rejection means death, right? And we'll I'm gonna we'll talk about that more in a minute. But the the reason why I bring this up specifically, it was being was applying that visualization to my EMDR treatment and going, Oh my God, I am now aware that I'm reaching out to this person all the time. You don't require conscious thought. You know, I, I talk about your brain as more than your thinking bits. Part of the processor of your brain is, is thinking of things that you are not consciously thinking of. So you may be every minute of the day. Having part of your brain thinking about your mother and your relationship with your mother. And that may be in, because that is the baseline programming that's informing your relationship with, say, all women. And that is, a you can call that a tether, right? This is back to that Goldsmith thing, right? So to me, calling your power back when you said that to me the first time, I was like, oh my God, yes. It's like when you separate your tethers, the visualization of separating your tethers so that you're not constantly bleeding out this energy or again, your brain is super hungry, wasting this physiological energy of your brain constantly worrying about, oh, I learned this traumatic lesson from my relationship with my mother and now I'm applying that traumatic lesson over that blueprint of that lesson, that tether over and over and over again. So you need to be able to become aware of all of the ways that you are doing this and kind of call it back to yourself so that you're not, again, you're not bleeding that energy. Now, suddenly you have all of these resources to apply to something else. It's just such a powerful experience to go through these practices, which is why I'm so excited to talk to you today.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So Yes, yeah.
0: Hey, y'all, just want to take a quick break in the action. Let you know if you're enjoying what you're listening to, please do recommend it to a friend. I would very much love to expand my audience and I would love it if you would rate me on iTunes slash the Apple podcast platform because that really helps the show out a lot. And if you want to know more about what I'm up to, go check out my new website at www.educate4.life. That's educate the number four dot life. Now, back to the show. Yeah, so there 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 was a technique that I wanted you to teach me. You said it was about a bodily awareness technique, and I think it feels like it's really relevant to this conversation. Yeah. I'd love yeah, to talk more. Sure.
1: About. So it's super simple and as you and i have discussed before (laughs) shamanic practice is for humanity and when if humanity can if people can do it then it's accessible if it's accessible then we can all benefit from it so all of the things that i share that i have learned to share are easy to do so, this practice has to do with taking a few moments to breathe I'm sit and come up. into yeah. the center. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. I'm
0: <laughs> going <laughs> to prepare myself. I'm sitting up now, cracking my back, listening. Okay.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I'll just take you through it. So, if right. you just take a few breaths, it helps to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. And as you breathe in and out through your mouth, you can gently close or lower your eyes if that feels comfortable. And slow your breathing down. So you're inhaling a little bit longer and you're exhaling for a little bit longer. And as we slow the breath down, begin to send your exhale down through your body as if you were intentionally pouring it on the inside, down through your heart, your belly, and toward the earth. Taking a moment to Connect in with the earth in whatever way you feel comfortable. You may imagine there's roots extending from you into the earth. You may imagine that you are sitting out in a really peaceful place in the woods, by the water. And then bring your focus and your awareness into your center. Your solar plexus or your belly and then take a few breaths in and out of your center and pay attention to your body feel the edges of your feet, the tips of your toes, you can go ahead and wiggle them to find them. Find the edge of your toe and just notice where it is. And then bring your awareness up to the top of your head. Notice the space where your hair is Notice the edges at the top. Where your hair is, where your scalp is, where your hair touches your head. Those are the edges of the physical body. And then go ahead and notice where the edges of your energy body are, the edges of your attention, or as some people refer to, your aura. Expand your awareness out and find those edges. If you're not sure where they are, follow your attention, it'll tell you. Your edges may be out two feet or they may be out six inches. Just notice where those edges are. And then bring your awareness back to the edge of your body, your physical body, where your skin is. Feel your skin, notice your skin on your legs, your arms, your heart. And if you're able to, notice the edge under your skin, where your skin meets the inside of your body. And now bring your awareness out from your body. Once again, out into the edge of your personal space or your energy field, wherever you notice it. Go ahead and bring that energy, bring those edges into a place where it feels comfortable. Holding in almost as if you were pulling through a straw, pulling your energy in so that your edges are closer to your physical body. And then bring your awareness back to the place where your skin meets the air. Feel the tips of your toes and find that edge again, wiggle your toes. Find the tips of your fingers and touch them together. And then take one, maybe two more deep breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth and breathe down into the earth. setting the intention to keep your edges drawn in to the place that feels comfortable. And then when you're ready, gently open your
0: eyes. Yay. Awesome. Yeah, I am totally doped out now. So as I'm in this state I'm wondering if you could tell us what the value of being in this state is
1: The value of being in this state is is that you get to be in command of your energy you get to decide when you want to reach out and feel what's out beyond you, and when you want to come back in, it puts you in command of your own space, your own attention, and your own energy. Hmm. It gives you more of a sense of power from the inside and also offers you the opportunity to be less pulled at by other people. I did this practice with a friend of mine. We were out at a cafe having coffee. And she was feeling, really feeling strongly the energy of somebody who was sitting at another table. Mm -hmm. There was definitely, the person had um, a developmental challenge. Mm -hmm. And my friend was very cued into what this fellow was doing. So Mm -hmm. cued in that... She was distracted. She couldn't stop paying attention and worrying about this person, actually. Yeah. So, I did this with her, a little bit of a shortened version, and I, and I helped her to bring her edges in. And then she was back. She was with me. Yeah. And she's been using that practice ever since. And she said that, you know, when she does that, then she's, she's, she's in command of her space, and it makes all the difference because she's not bleeding her awareness everywhere else.
0: Yes. Absolutely. Yeah, I think of it as kind of a mental-emotional distraction. Like, you know, people talk about ADD. It's almost like emotional ADD, that there's this tendency to... Because part of the tethers also is to receive information, not just to exchange energy, right? So again, this is just a metaphor for how our awareness works. And so right now, like when you were describing your friend, I was thinking of how in the past sometimes... Maybe because I'm tired, or I haven't eaten enough, or I'm not hydrated enough, or I had a difficult interaction with someone else earlier, my edges are frayed, and and I'm in a sympathetic response. I believe is the correct term uh, for the the nerve, you know, our, our nervous system. The sympathetic response is this kind of fight, flight, freeze kind of mode of being hyper aware of our environment, and so. I felt this is very parasympathetic. It's returning us to like a stable base. I feel very much more centered. I mean, when you described that story, I visualized it a little too well. And so I felt my own edges start to get frayed again. Uh, this was like, okay, come back to your skin, come back to your skin. That's such a powerful visualization um, for me, again, to kind of come back to, I, I, am, I am safe here. Like if you're not safe, obviously this is not the thing to do. But uh, if you, if you in- intellectually are aware that I am in a safe space when I'm emotionally uh, or, you know, sympathetically, my nervous system is, is fried. This is a way to, what I experienced, I should say, is this coming back to a stable state so that I can respond with, again, more of my resources so often i talk about the the techniques that i teach which are not too dissimilar from the techniques that you teach i'm aware especially having just done this it's very close to a, an easy breath technique that i teach um about having your resource to be able to marshal your resources so instead of being pulled as you said in 10 different directions uh i am i am conscious i am calm i am leveraging my physiology uh to be aware in a in a less reactive state, in a responsive state. Uh, As you said, now I'm present. I'm not being pulled in so many directions. I can respond consciously and cognitively uh, with awareness. Um, And for for those who don't need to be aware of all information for the intuitive among us in Marshall's, our capacity to get the information we're getting from our intuition, which again is just unconsciously processed data. So it's it's still there. Uh, but then we can trust that leverage that. Um, I feel we're in a much better state. Thank you so much for, for sharing that technique.
1: Yes. Yes. We, we, you know, we, that we have, we all have trauma and there's a significant Mm -hmm. level of trauma on the planet. And when people have trauma, depending on their trauma and their situation, it becomes a safety mechanism to feel out into the space around to assess safety. And that's a good thing that needs to happen. And it doesn't need to happen to the extent that it's happening. And it's good to know that we don't always need to be in that vigilant state. And there's actually an energetic and a psychic consequence for being in that state. So this is a practice that will never get old because we, will, we have many, many folks who have trauma and who are feeling and taking the temperature to keep themselves safe, and they need to know that they don't have to work as hard all the time.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I, I think there are some different interesting terms that are floating out in the space right now that also have a lot of esoteric ring to them, to people talking about being empaths or being high, highly sensitive people. And the way I look at it is we all have these five perceived senses, right? Some people's eyesight is better than others. Some people's hearing is better than others. Some people's touch, you know, there are people who have different levels of sensitivity period. Then there are people whose sensitivity gets ramped up even more because of trauma, as you say, and, and need survival requirements, you know, so-called highly sensitive people. Um, and I'm actually going to be interviewing someone who identifies as a highly sensitive person very soon here to talk about how she's kind of used yoga to navigate some parts of her life and how that's been a powerful experience for her. And so, again, I just want to call out that this is about, this is a human practice. <laughs> this is, all of us have different levels of sensitivity. Uh, all of us have different levels of trauma, as you said. Um, and so, this is, this is helping us mediate, mediate the world, mediate our experience of the world. Next time on Educate for Life with Ryan Francis. And actually, I think that's a really excellent way to talk about um, this Toltec idea of the domestication of the planet, which uh, I perceived there was a lot of judgment about this being the state of affairs that we needed to stop domesticating each other. Uh, But I actually have a very different perspective. So I just want to give a 30 second about what this means, this Toltec notion of the domestication of the planet, which you can read about in like uh, the Four Agreements, the introduction to the Four Agreements. Uh, Don Miguel Ruiz, uh, who is a Toltec practitioner, you can read it in some of Carlos Castaneda's books Though he talks about it less because he's more focused on personal practice and his own shamanic journey. Um, so it's a little, it's a little less focal um, explicitly than it is in Don Miguel's books and his son's books. Hey again. Thanks for listening. If you want more goodness, come hang out with me on Instagram at educate4 life. That's educate the number four underscore life. I jump on almost every day and go live once per week to answer questions and just talk about what's on my mind. We've got some cool stuff coming down the pipe, so expect some announcements in the near future. And with that, I hope you have a great week. Talk with you soon.